This episode is made possible by our generous patrons. Welcome to the Ink to Film podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm James. And I'm Luke. This week, with the help of special guest Sarah Tantlinger, we discuss Kevin Kolsch and Dennis Widmeyer's 2019 film, Pet Cemetery. like to welcome Sarah Tantlinger to the show. Sarah is the author of Love for Slaughter and the Bram Stoker Award-nominated collection, The Devil's Dreamland, Poetry Inspired by H.H. Holmes. She is a poetry editor for Oddville Press and a fellow graduate of Seton Hill's MFL program. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to have you on. Uh, I haven't talked to you much since we graduated, but it's always cool to catch up with, with, uh, with a friend and uh, you've been blowing up, getting nominated for Stoker Awards and all kinds of stuff. It's really cool. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Yeah, thank you for coming on the podcast. It's also nice to meet you, Sarah. It's very nice <laughs> to meet you, too. Honestly, when we were doing Pet Cemetery, I thought of you because you're you're one of my, my friends who's really into horror. And, and you know, I, I was really curious to know what you thought of it. So I asked you if you'd read the book before and you said you had. So I was like, you'd be a perfect person to have on and talk about this new movie. So, uh, yeah, why don't you tell us about your, your history with this? Have you have you seen the, the uh, 80s movie? I did, but it was so long ago, I don't remember the details very much. But the book I read years and years ago, but I actually reread it just before the film came out too, because I wanted to remember everything that happened. So I have both nice and fresh in my brain to talk about, which was really helpful. Very cool. Well, I I mean, if if people have been following along with our previous episodes, they would know that um, I read the book for the first time uh, before seeing this. I have not seen the old movie. Um, I've seen like a couple scenes from it, but that was it. So really, I was very fresh to this material, really enjoyed the book. Um, I, I It was a really kind of personal experience for me, and, and I really, really enjoyed it. I'll, I talk about why in the previous episodes, but uh, yeah, I was going in with all of this like positive energy going in to see this movie. So uh, that's where I was at, at least. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed your um, coverage of the book. I just listened to that over the weekend, and you guys said all kinds of things I want to talk about, too, as we get into the movie and maybe compare that to how we all felt about parts of the book. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. Definitely. Yeah. Oh, so I also wanted to bring up uh, your editing or you are in the process of putting together an anthology called Not All Monsters. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. So Not All Monsters is going to be an anthology released by Strange House Books next year, probably in the fall. And it was a call for women who write horror. So it's a book completely by women who write horror Um, the table of contents is almost finalized. I'm just putting everything in the order that I want it right now. And then we'll edit the stories and get that out next year. I'm really excited. There are some amazing stories in here. I think this anthology is going to do really well. Women are scary and they're badass and they're telling amazing stories. And I cannot wait to share it with everybody. I can't wait to read it. That's so cool. (laughs) So before we get into it, I did want to mention that we are doing a giveaway for Pet Cemetery, uh, the book. 
uh, we have three copies we're giving out on our social media platforms. And you have this, this, when this episode comes out on Thursday, you're going to have basically 24 hours um, until the end of day Friday. Um, I think we're going to say just like midnight on Friday and to enter to for a chance to win. And honestly, your chances are pretty good. Just go and you can enter up to three times on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And uh, yeah, we're we, uh, really excited to give away these books. We are working with Scribner, uh, the publisher, and they provided these. They were really generous with their offer. So I don't know, it's really cool. And, and we're hoping to do this sort of thing in the future. So if you did participate in this giveaway, make sure to stick around and, and watch for more giveaways in the future. Yeah, I can't wait to see listeners actually have the book in their hand. It'll be very cool. So uh, I guess I'll take over here a little bit. Yeah. We're going to be covering the Pet Cemetery 2019 film. Mm-hmm. So we'll be starting with general thoughts. I want to hear what you guys thought about this film versus the book and maybe the original film, Sarah, if you if you can remember some of those scenes. I also want to hear about your theater going experience. What was it like mm. in the theater for you? Also, we're, we should say these are going to be spoiler free thoughts. So if you haven't seen the movie yet, this is safe. You can listen to this and then we'll we'll definitely alert you when we're going to get into the spoilers. So Sarah, how was your how was your theater going experience? It was awesome because I went in the middle of the day on a Friday with a friend and nobody else was there. It was kind of this theater off the beaten path. So ah. that was really good because I reacted very vocally to a lot of things in the movies and nobody <laughs> was there. So I just got to talk and yell at the screen for a while. Um that was really great because usually there's people around and you can't do that. So I love when you have the theater to yourself and you can kind of discuss these things as they're unfolding. Was that like Mystery yeah. Science Theater? Is that the name of it? Yeah. Yeah. 3000. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah. For me, James, I uh, I went and saw this alone uh, because my wife is not into horror. And uh, she, she kind of talked about maybe giving it a go, but... Ultimately, it was like, I, I'm not going to I would have felt guilty bringing her to it because it would have it would have freaked her out. So I said, you just stay home. I'll go alone. It'll be fine. And then when I was there, there was like three or four other people around me who were all alone. So then it kind of felt like we were all there together, <laughs> which was kind of cool. You guys should have sat. Did you sit next to each other? We were like, yeah, we all had like a gap of like one seat between us and we were all around. It was it was pretty cool. Um, nice. Yeah, the, so the I, I mean, I guess that was fine. My main problem was that my chair was broken, and I so I was in like a full recline the whole time, like not like that was my only option. I could not sit up, <laughs> so, so that wasn't told ideal. The theater that <laughs> um, that sounds like, and you and you just dealt with that, huh? You didn't pop over a seat and sit next to one of your buddies. It was okay. It was like, well, also I thought that would be weird if I just randomly halfway through the movie just scooched over next to somebody. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like. I like reclining during a movie. I just kind of like to have the option to set up on occasion. So yeah, it was okay, but yeah, a little frustrating. So I went on Saturday night and it was a pretty packed theater. But what surprised me was there were like four kids who sat right next to me and my girlfriend, Caitlin. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, wow, okay, we're going to bring kids to this. And we're talking like I told you I was I was horrified by the first movie in, yeah. in one of our past episodes. And like I was like, OK, I'm going to get to witness these kids become traumatized. <laughs> be scarred. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm talking like one of them was like couldn't be more than like six years old. Oh my, oh my gosh. There was yeah. like and there was the scene with Ellie. I mean, it's not I guess it's kind of a spoiler. There's a scene where Ellie is in a bathtub and I won't say what happens, but it was it was creepy. And like I, I was thinking oh, yeah. like if I was a kid watching this scene, it would be very terrifying to me. I will just say that there was a lot of squirming and yeah. tapping and moving I because I think that the kids were not enjoying themselves. Hiding, all, hiding all the, the eyes, probably. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. So that was my theater experience. Maybe they'll be maybe they're maybe they're horror writers in the making though. You never know. <laughs> yeah. They're a whole family of horror writers. Yes. 
So yeah, I mean, that was my experience. And now I'd love to hear what you guys felt about this film uh, on its own. And then we'll talk about comparison to the book after that. Yeah, non-spoilers. Let's start with Sarah. All right. So generally, oh my gosh, where do you even start? I guess generally <laughs> there there are some things that I liked about it. There were a couple <laughs> parts. <laughs> Damning with faint praise. <laughs> uh-huh. There were some parts that I thought were pretty spooky. And maybe we'll get into that later. Um, generally, I guess I just felt like it was a very generic horror film. I did not feel like I was watching Stephen King's Pet Cemetery. I felt like I was watching any plain old horror film that didn't really offer a lot of different things to it. And again, so there were some things that I did like, but overall, I was just not that impressed with it as its own thing anytime I go into a Stephen King film I just try to disassociate myself completely with the fact that it's inspired by Stephen King because for whatever reason when we make a Stephen King film we just have to change it as much as possible a lot of the time I don't get it (laughs) yeah I don't understand either you have the greatest source material so I just don't yeah so I just try to step away from that So that was kind of my level of thinking going into it. Like, okay, I'm going to see what they do. I didn't, I didn't even watch any trailers about it. I saw like part Mm -hmm. of the trailer because I just didn't want to see anything. So there was definitely some surprises that way. So, yeah, I mean, I I guess I'm pretty similar. Um, I I would say I was a very mixed reaction to this movie. Um, And when I was going through it, because I wasn't really sure how I felt about it right afterwards, other than just kind of a mixed feeling. And the more I kind of like thought about it over the next, like over the following day, because I just saw it on Sunday, um, the more I started to think like there, honestly, there was some more negatives than there was positives. Um, so I think it was like mixed, but overall a little bit negative for me, which I feel bad because mm-hmm. like we always try and look at stuff from the point of view of the people who make it right. And we know that a lot of work went into, went into this and, and people want to have a great movie and we totally understand that. But um, for whatever reason, I, I think that this just didn't quite hit that for me for what for what I wanted from like a pet cemetery adaptation. Um, it just didn't hit all the things that I that I was really hoping for. And I haven't seen the 80s movie. So maybe it's way better. Maybe it's also got problems in different ways. I don't know. Um, I'd definitely be interested to watch it. And maybe we'll do that as a bonus episode, James. But uh, yeah, I was I was mixed. How about you, James? The I had written down this this sentence that I really felt like encapsulated my thoughts on it. And it was initially my i would say for the first like quarter of the movie i was really open and willing to whatever was going to happen really mm-hmm. wanted to like it after especially after our coverage um and you know i had my eyes wide open for other stephen king references and nods and things that were going to go on but oh my gosh by the end i i would say my ultimate thoughts on it were it wasn't aggressively bad it wasn't like you know unwatchable but i felt myself <laughs> rolling my eyes and and i really was shocked at how just how cliche they made this film and how it, it just felt safe and and every twist, even the twists that were in there, I felt like I could see them coming. And one of the major things that was sticking out to me is, Luke, we talked about in one of our other episodes uh, how we this was not a this wasn't a remake. Right. We right. were like, if you're retelling the story and you go to the source material, then you're actually just making another movie. You're making a new adaptation. Yeah. But really, for me, this fe- this felt like a real it felt like a remake. It felt like a response to the 89 film yeah. or to the 1980s film. I think that they were they, they it was more of a reaction to the to the old film than it was to the source material. And that's kind of where I landed on it. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree with that cliche and safe which is usually what makes horror boring for me 
mm-hmm. want it to be something different. I want you to push those boundaries. And this just didn't. It just it censored a lot of stuff too, like from mm-hmm. the book, even from the eighties film. Really? Uh, yeah, I agree with that definitely. One, I think one example of this is I, I wrote down. It was one of my first notes that I felt like I had to write down was that they just went crazy with the fog machine. Did you <laughs> notice that? Like there was so, just so I, much fog all the time, and it was so weird. I didn't even, <laughs> I didn't even mind that really. Like that was more like like that was something I did want to say. Like just to give it points for for. I don't think that it was a particular. Like I think that there was some good good shot selection, and I think that it was fairly fairly good looking. There were moments of green screen that were kind of blatant, yeah. but it looked all right, and the sound design it had some good sound design, but. It, it just like really didn't feel like it captured the heart of what the story's supposed to be about, which mm-hmm. we talked about multiple times was like that guilt and that the dread of losing someone and what you would do. It, and it, I just didn't really feel like I connected to the characters in that way. Yeah, yeah, I had almost no sympathy for Lewis in the movie like I did in the yeah. book. Like, I think I felt a little sympathetic for Judd at one point. That movie wasted John Lithgow. But, oh, I totally agree with that. <laughs> I agree. But I just didn't. I just didn't feel anything for the characters. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really sad to think. Like, I, I wanted this movie to be great, and it is. I, I guess that it does kind of disappoint me. And if I had come in with like lower expectations, maybe I would have enjoyed it more. I don't know. See, I can remember. I remember having a conversation with you, Luke, off off mic. And we were just talking about like how how the buzz that it was getting at South by Southwest. Yes. And I remember what being the hell? like, I've. I remember being like, we have to take that with a grain of salt because like that's a favorable audience. You were so right, man. And I and but but I allowed myself I allowed myself to buy into a little bit of that hype. And so the expectation was set. And then when I saw it, I was just pretty let down. Yeah, there was a lot of this positive buzz going around. And so I was kind of surprised that I didn't like it more than I did. Uh, they completely so this I, I guess I understand why people do this, but I was a little frustrated that we get zero main accents in this movie. Oh, I know. <laughs> like, what the hell? Like, that's part of the, like, texture of this of this book was, was these, like, deep main accents, and, and we don't get any of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't, I'm just trying to think of, like, non-spoiler things to say, essentially. <laughs> I think that's part of, like, what I said about it feeling so generic, too. Like, this yeah. could have been set anywhere, and they yep. could have had a burial grounds. Like, it, it didn't feel specific to that region at all. The setting was just kind of bland that way. Mm-hmm. We did get a, uh, I guess it's an Easter egg, and I don't think it's a spoiler to say that we did see the dairy was on a was on a signpost at one point, and I was like, "Hey, mm-hmm. dairy," because that's a fictional town, um, so it's cool that it's like an in-universe thing. But I think, unless you guys caught any other ones, I think that's the only reference to any other. I did. Did you? I heard one other one. You heard one yeah. other one? What, what was it? So at, it at Ellie's birthday, it's not a spoiler. Okay. At Ellie's birthday, uh, in the background, you can hear John Lithgow's Judd telling a story about Coo- about a St. Bernard. Yeah. Oh, cool. I missed that. Nice. So it was another, It was, and which is also a nod to the book because there was a Cujo ne- uh, reference kind of similar. Judd was yes. telling a story to someone. Yeah, that's true. So other than that, though, I really didn't, I didn't catch any other ones. No, there were some almost references to the original movie that I caught, like they, uh, I don't want to give it away, but there were things that happened in the 80s movie that they started to play off and then they gave us a surprise, putting that in quotes. And mm-hmm. and I think I, I t- totally picked up on those too. And I felt like that was why I was saying that it was a response to 
the, the other film like i i think they were watching yeah. the they were trying to be like people love this movie whereas i thought we were going to get i thought the reason to remake this was because people love the book and they didn't feel like they got out of the first movie what they wanted right so that i thought it was a time a chance to go back to the source material and but instead they were like yeah there's a lot of wink and nods and nudges towards some of the stuff that went on in the, in the first book or sorry the first movie which i don't know how much we want to touch on just because Luke hasn't seen it or doesn't remember it and we might cover it here soon. Yeah, yeah. I mean well, it doesn't really matter that much either. Like they had fun with it, but like what does it really do for the audience? Not right. Not a lot. Yeah. And and don't worry about it. If you guys want to talk about it, it'll be fine. <laughs> um and if the listeners are like frustrated that we're not explaining these takes in more detail, it's because we're saving it for the spo- you know, we it takes spoilers to talk about this stuff. Um, but yeah, I have specific reasons why certain things weren't working, uh, that we will get into. Um, I did want to talk about, so something I missed in the book coverage, I think that I didn't really talk about was my, the idea of like the speeding truck as a metaphor, um, which I think is kind of cool to think about for this, this project in general. And sort of, uh, to me, it's like the metaphor of like death, just speeding by your house, like literally like your front step and, and it comes unannounced and it's scary and like. At any time, you know that like it could strike you. Well, and that kind of goes along with what Judd was was talking about with uh, the, right. the back in his day that death would come to your house and have dinner with you or whatever. That yeah, exactly. That. Yeah, from the book. So I think, and, and I guess like that is present in this movie, and so that's cool. That is something they needed to have. Um, but I've always liked that metaphor about this, and and uh, there was I had a little bit of frustration with how it plays out in the movie, and we which we'll talk about more in the in the uh, spoiler section. <laughs> No, I definitely agree with you. I mean, Stephen King loves his, he loves his metaphors. He loves his foreshadowing. I'm actually rereading Carrie right now for a class that I'm teaching. I'm teaching Carrie for horror. And it's so funny to see how heavy he relies on. Like every single page almost has red or blood on it in Carrie. Like he is not subtle at all. (laughs) I was rereading Pet Cemetery. I kind of caught on to that too. How he... But I guess between Carrie and Pet Cemetery, kind of calmed down a little bit with it. Mm-hmm. But even in the book Pet Cemetery, he loves his foreshadowing and he loves to put it right there for you. Yeah, the movie could have played with that so much more and it just it just didn't. I think it relied more on like the twist. You know, they wanted yeah. to they wanted to yeah. hit us with a twist and surprise us rather than that that um dread that Stephen King builds up with with his foreshadowing where you kind of know where it's going. And you have to deal with it. Well, that that was going to be my question. Like, when when the foreshadowing is done well, it, it, you, why do you think it works works well in the book? And 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 why? And when you said that, like they could have maybe played with that a little bit more, like how could it have functioned in the movie in a way that it didn't? I think they could have just like, and you guys talked about this too. How King he tells us what happened, and then he goes back and explains it and shows us all the emotion with it. Mm-hmm. So the movie just shows us what happened and gives us no emotion to it. It doesn't really, I guess, artistically do anything with that. Like there's no time spent with the grief, with the imagery, with the symbolism. It's all just Mm -hmm. there in like a little flash second and you have to either get it or you don't. Like I think this movie would be really confusing if you haven't read the book. Yeah, I can see that. Or seen the original, perhaps, yeah. I agree with that. All right, I think I think we've done as much as we can dancing around spoilers. Um, James, you're going to tell us a little bit. I had one last question for you. Um, I know we've talked a lot about negative stuff. Did mm. was there any was there any positives that you want to talk about generally before we move on? I did like the bathtub scene. There's mm-hmm. something there that we see that I thought was kind of creepy. 
I don't think I can talk about the rest without getting into spoilers yet. <laughs> <laughs> but there were some things that could have been really interesting. Yeah. I uh, I have a few things like that, too, that I'm thinking of that I did. There were a few things I really liked. There was... So they did some major kind of reshuffling of a lot of the major plot points. Um, so I can't really talk about it without spoiling it. But uh, some of them I thought actually worked really well and, and or it had the potential to work extremely well. And then some of them kind of fell flat. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know how to talk about it without spoiling it, though. So I guess we'll just have to save that. I felt like there were some things here and there. And, and like Sarah said, I think I think the this, somewhere in the structure of the skeleton of this movie is a better movie. But I think that they they made a couple decisions that kind of led them down the wrong path. Uh, I think that Amy uh, Simons, who was who played Rachel, was the standout for me in terms of performance. I think that yeah. like we talked about, John Lithgow was a little bit wasted. As much as I wanted to like his job, he just didn't have very much. And and Jason Clark was serviceable, but I think they did some stuff with his character that I didn't like agree with as much. But I really think that they did something some something nice with Rachel's character. Uh, that added a little more texture and and I thought her performance was like fitting I think really fitting for this movie and she she, yeah she was the standout and the girl that played Ellie was very good too that's what I was gonna say I think it's Jete Lawrence perhaps if I'm pronouncing that right Uh, she was also good but yeah I agree about um, Amy Simons Uh, that was gonna be my standout I I thought she was good Um, I, I think if the movie had been better it would have been even more noteworthy right Um, but I when she was when she was doing her thing, that was like some of the most compelling parts of the movie. Yes. Yeah. Well, with all that being said, let's move into the filmmakers here. They are Kevin Kolsch and Dennis Widmeyer, mm-hmm. and they are fairly new to the scene of feature filmmaking. Maybe not new, but uh, they haven't had quite this much of a budget before. Do they always uh, work in, in tandem? For the most part, yeah. They yeah. Back in 2003, they co-founded Paralactic Pictures. And that has gone on to make a lot of short films. They, they tend to do a lot of short films, but there were three features that were notable. Starry Eyes in 2014, Holidays in 2016, and Mama 2. Two. Oh, I think I saw, I saw the trailer for that. Did you see any of those films, Sarah? Uh-uh. No, but I'd be very curious to see how they handle their other movies. Like if it was an original script, I'd be curious to see what they did with it. Their short films are, are pretty popular and they've won at festivals such as South by Southwest and Fantastic Fest. So I think that in terms of short films and indie films, they have made a name for themselves. And it was one of those situations where the studio saw these up and comers and wanted to give them a bigger budget film and see, see how they could work it. Okay. So Dennis Widmeyer graduated from Long Island University in 1999 and he started working as a PA on a lot of uh, comedy films and things like that. And then, like I said, in 2003... With his longtime collaborator Kevin Kolsch, he they founded Parallactic Pictures, and they did a uh, they began with back to back productions of two feature length projects, Postcards from the Future, which interestingly enough uh, is a documentary on the best selling author Chuck Palahniuk. That's how you say that, right, Palahniuk? Yeah, Palahniuk. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Absence is their other feature length project. Mm. It's about a kidnapping. It's a kidnapping mystery told from three points of view. So I thought that was interesting that they did a documentary about an author we may actually cover. At yeah, some point. I'm surprised we haven't covered him yet, but we will eventually. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that is interesting. So it sounds like they also kind of found a niche with their with their horror. Like you mentioned, three horror projects in a row. There, it sounds like they've done so. Um, 
maybe that's their thing. So I don't know. We'll probably see more from them in the future, and 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 you know maybe we'll we'll look back at this and see it as like a slight misstep in a, an otherwise good career. I don't know. Uh, it'll be interesting to kind of track that. For sure. Okay, so let's move into spoilers. We're just gonna let loose here. We're gonna try to move chronologically, but I think it's gonna I think it's gonna get pretty extreme. So yeah, we'll jump around, but yeah, we're gonna be full spoilers for the entire film. So if you haven't seen it and you care about that, now's the time to stop and maybe return after you do see it. I guess we're moving chronologically, so let's start right away. Judd's character change, mm. um, and the way that Judd is handled in this is he goes from being that father figure to being kind of just a creepy old man that <laughs> is lurking and looming and you don't know what he's what his intentions really are yeah they changed sort of his backstory with norma um and that she was the one that he brought back i, I think that was an okay change honestly because it because it, it brought that closer to him person and like i can see why they did it like rather than have him the the, the timmy stuff all got got are basically erased it's referenced and that's about it um Mm -hmm. but that was our main source of but then it felt like they dropped the ball a little bit like because they needed to explain that and explain what happened more i think oh we had we had google though we just had to go google search it that's like that brings me to cliche cliches and and this movie had numerous but we gotta we gotta work on our cliches in horror filmmaking because The kid drawing a creepy image and then mm-hmm. the parent finding it has to go. That can't oh be in any gosh. more movies. Yeah. Uh, we it can't can have be, that. Can... We can't. Now, I, in, in defense of that, that's a trope that I can enjoy when done well. But if you're going to do it, you have to show me something truly creepy. You can't just show me a sloppy stick figure with some red coming out of its head. But <laughs> like, no, it's, come so, on, like... it's to me, to me that doing the drawing at this point is just like, I, I think it's just a red flag for saying I'm yeah. not trying that hard. And I it agree. didn't I guess do like, anything. Like it didn't serve any other purpose. They're just like, yeah. oh, it's creepy. And it's <laughs> just right. every one of these things is just reminding me of something else I didn't like. So that reminds me of Victor Pascal, and I was very frustrated with the way that character was used in this movie. They they it was so heavy handed. He even says at one point, like early on, he says, "You helped me, so I'm going to try and help you," or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you can't just come out and say that. Like, <laughs> it removes all mystery of like this semi haunting that Victor does, right? Um, even well, if that's the subtext, haunts- you can't just say it. Come on. The other thing that I didn't understand is that he he haunts just everyone in this at one point or another. He shows up to every character. Ellie does see him in the book too, right? Because that or that in is her a dreams, thing. in her dreams. In her dreams, yeah. right? Yeah. But in the real world, everyone's seeing Victor Pascal, and they've never <laughs> met him before. Yeah, and I didn't like that he was like a token actor of color and he's our mm. only person of color in this film and he gets killed right away. So I thought yeah. that was kind of, I don't know, like they were trying yeah. to be inclusive, but they did it in a really cliche way. It's it's yeah, bad because true. it's like, yeah, it is a little bit of tokenism, but if if the character had been good... I don't know that I would look at that as critically because I'd be like, oh, it's cool that they did that. But and the character worked and was good. But instead, the character was bad. So then it just highlights that that was a bad choice. Exactly. Exactly. Um, And we could have seen we could have seen some more characters, uh, people of color definitely could have happened. um, And they just didn't do it. So (laughs) it it just further highlights the problem. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I think the elephant in the room we have to mention is the uh, the the biggest change. And that's that's uh, Gage not being the one hit by the truck and it being Ellie. Right. That was the the big twist. And and we got to talk about it. I want to hear Sarah's thoughts on this first. (laughs) Okay. 
Um, so I guess that's what everybody kind of saw in the trailer that I had missed from not watching the trailer. So. Was that revealed in the trailer? I didn't I didn't notice. I think it was. So. And the posters. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. See, I, I isolate myself from spoilers because I hate them so much. Mm-hmm. So I was like flying out of my seat during this. But it was. Oh, man, there's just so much you could talk about with it. It's one of those things that could have been really interesting. Mm-hmm. They could have played off her connection with church. They could have made it a little more, I don't know, like you can take the creepy little girl cliche and twist it on its head and do something different with it. And they just didn't. There wasn't enough time of grief. We didn't feel it. There was no funeral scene like in the book. That's where you like, that's where I had to put the book down. There was a brief one, but it wasn't, it didn't touch me in any way. Yeah. Like the book, because as someone who has lost a parent, like when I read that book, when I read that funeral scene, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I feel mm-hmm. all of this. I know how much Lewis is grieving, how much the family is grieving. And the movie just, yeah, there's just that kind of scene where you see the casket getting buried. And there's no grieving period to connect with these characters. And again, with Ellie herself, who was played by a good actress, you could have done so much more than what they gave us. They could have made it like an interesting women's focal point too especially since they do so much with rachel and zelda so it's all there like you said earlier there's the skeleton of a really good story but it's assembled in these sloppy pieces without a strong narrative arc on it well yeah i completely agree with that um yeah i mean i i I was when i when i first suspected they were going to do this um and then and then it happened i was like okay so so it's kind of a twist and maybe they're they're doing it to shock viewers of the previous movie or readers of the book. Um, but then I'm like, okay, if you're going to make this major change, like you're going to have to demonstrate that you're doing it for a reason and that you're, and that you're doing it well. Um, and instead they just leaned heavily into that creepy girl trope. Um, and we've been talking about cliches. Um, the idea of, of the creepy girl just was, it was, it's been done so many times and, uh, gauge that, that we haven't seen as many, you know, of that, right? Like we haven't seen as many like, creepy boy toddlers. Um, and I get that there, there can be some limitations with actors, but too, what's that? I said that I think there are a bunch of those creepy toddler type things too, though. Yeah, there's yeah. definitely both. You're right. So I guess either way, you you potentially could run into a cliche, but I, I feel like the girl one is is a little bit more cliche. Is that safe to say? I mean, I can, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I agree. With like with the ring and I don't know, just so many of these movies. Yeah. There's, but like on the other side, there's like the omen and like, like I feel like children in the corn is just all, all <laughs> creepy children. Right. Yeah. And, okay. So fair enough. No matter what, you're going to potentially hit a cliche, but you just have to do it well, right? Like to overcome a cliche, you just have to do something different with it and, and, and put a spin on it. And I think the book does that and yeah. the movie fails to do that. So yes. I didn't hate the decision. At, ultimately, I didn't like the execution, but I didn't hate the decision to switch it over because I had, I had seen the trailers and I knew that they were going to do this. If they had executed it well, I think it would have been an interesting twist. And I think that people would have appreciated it for the fact that it was different. But yeah, I mean, Gage, Gage had nothing to do in this in this story. There were there were like two scenes that I did like, and I think they did work for me with with Ellie being possessed or whatever she was uh one was when she was laying in the bed initially with with lewis 
and he's like go to sleep and she, he, they're both laying there i kind of like that that was kind of fun yeah and then she kind of uh, stared at like, him wouldn't close her eyes right. that was creepy and then I agree. and then we've talked about the bathtub the bathtub's a great scene <laughs> yeah that was a nice that's like the only time we ever see anything wrong with her that bugged me a lot too like in the book, Lewis goes, he waits those couple of days and he's so torn about the decision to dig up Gage and take him to the cemetery. And Gage is covered in moss. He has that moss growing on him. Mm-hmm. And his face is all torn apart from being hit by the truck. But the movie, they just made it so safe. They made Ellie look perfect and pretty in the casket. And that just, that took away a lot for me too. Like I understand you know, it's a child. People don't want to go there, but do it. Go there. See what yeah. that does. Yeah. And like I so in terms of imagery with this movie, I think that they pulled a lot of punches. I think that the actual truck hitting Ellie, there was like no blood. She was just in the grass. We couldn't see anything. And I, I like like you said, Sarah, I don't think people want to see that kind of stuff. But I, like this is supposed to be a like really grotesque and horrific movie and moment and yeah when she's in the in the grave and there's like nothing on her and it reminds me of seeing something else recently in uh hereditary they did a great job of just like children in peril and showing without spoiling spoiling anything showing graphic things Mm -hmm. and i feel like after seeing that and coming to this like you said it's very safe and if you're going into a rated r stephen king inspired movie like i think you can expect things to maybe get a little gritty but they just didn't do that and they also didn't like in the book when gage comes back he's swearing at judd before he kills him he's saying all these things telling him that norma was a whore and all this stuff and it's really disturbing because it's coming out of this two-year-old kid's mouth and they didn't do anything with that either when ellie comes back like they actually had her morph into Norma's adult face to say anything that was even just a little risque, and it wasn't even that risque. Mm-hmm. So it was just kind of disappointing, too, like, that they just didn't go there at all with it. Yeah. And and so uh, just to touch right real quick back on the the blood and the, and, and the lack thereof, um, I, it does feel like it directly goes against what the book is about. Because to me, the book w- was very honest about the ugliness of death that our society wants to ignore, right? And and we get all that stuff about like the being an undertaker and the stuff they deal with and and how they arrange the bodies and how it had to be a closed casket was a big part of the book because Gage was so messed up in there when they had the wake, and to take all of that and ignore it. And to have a child get hit by a hit by a truck and have them be just like a pristine corpse for unknown reasons, yeah, it totally uh, it goes. It's not just a, like they're failing to go there, but also to me, it, it's it's uh, it's going away from what I felt like was the heart of this of this book, and uh, so it's very frustrating, I guess, in multiple levels. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. And uh, yeah, I mean, and and so. That reminds me a little bit of, of so the Ellie stuff and 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 the way she, uh, she sort of embodied Norma um, connects to the Wendigo, which I think we definitely got to talk about because that was a big thing to, for mm-hmm. me too. That that was very different in the movie, right? Yeah, I really thought they were going to go there. I I and like I guess when I was walking into the movie, I still believed that they were going to go there, and they really they really limped on that one. Yeah, <laughs> it's it was just there, like lip service was, to the Wendigo, yeah. right? 
a mention. Yeah. Did you did you get a good look at him in the woods? Because I definitely did not. No, not no. at all. There's like a there's like a shape, like a dark shadowy shape, and I thought that that was like okay. So I was at that point in the movie, I was still hopeful. You know, they'd mm-hmm. done some things wrong, but I was like, man, if they can really nail this final act, then this movie could land for me and still be and still be like, this is a good movie. And one of the right. things when I saw that shape moving in the darkness, I was like, oh, this could be cool because if, if the window goes great and like really scary and and we talked about it in the book, like bizarre and Lovecraftian and, and kind of otherworldly, if they can somehow sell that to me. And then we can imagine that that thing is what's inside Ellie. Then that makes Ellie immediately more frightening, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, yeah, this is going to work. And then they don't do it at all. And then when Ellie is, is sort of possessed, we I, I feel like I feel sorry for people who are seeing this without any reference material because I don't think you understand, like, what is going on. Like, why is she this, like, kind of twisted evil version? Is it a demon? I guess so. I don't know. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 And in in the specific scene of him seeing that sixty foot, you know, crazy looking Wendigo, and then knowing that that's what's in Gage, made Gage so much more frightening in the book than right. than anything we get from Ellie. I can't believe we didn't even get glowing yellow eyes or anything. No. Right. Come on. <laughs> just and it I, was just lame. Like it was like. I don't know. Like, I didn't feel anything. I was just kind of laughing at a lot of it eventually. And that's one thing I wanted to say is in my theater, I was, you know, I I don't know how familiar these people were with the material, but they were laughing. And I'm like, (laughs) I can't believe people are laughing at Stephen King's work. And and I mean, I know it's not his rendition of it, but it's just funny to to see that people were laughing just out of sheer the fact that they couldn't take it seriously. Mm hmm. Yep. I don't think they'd be laughing at the novel, honestly. It's 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 um these are se- these are separate things, and we have to remember that. You know, we have to try not to let the adaptations affect our our love of the source, right? Like this is something we encounter sometimes on this podcast. <laughs> um, it, it, it's an unfortunate side effect in reality, though, that sometimes it does. Is that because a lot of more more people will probably see the movie than read the book? That's just often the case, and so often people will bring that baggage into it, and it's kind of unfortunate. Which, by the way, since we're giving away the novels, like yeah, definitely check out the novel if you haven't read it, because I think it's a, it's the stronger experience, and I think um, if you're looking for some genuine some genuine uh, I don't know explorations of grief and 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 fright and all this stuff, uh, you're gonna get a lot more of that in the novel. With this movie now coming out and knowing the source material and everything, we're gonna get another Pet Cemetery adaptation at some point, and I hope <laughs> that just at that point they pull it off. You know, if they, if they get to do it again, please, whoever gets to make it, just lean into all the weirdness, lean into all the grief, lean into all of the character, lean into the characters, please, because this one didn't have a lot of character. Yeah, the character development was almost non-existent. It was, and even with the Wendigo too, like King doesn't do that much with it in the book. It's just there in little snippets. So if you were going to remake this into another movie, you could really play off of that and just do more with the supernatural part too and make it completely different yeah and that's what i thought we were going to get <laughs> like i was really hoping for that and so when they go into the what i guess i'm going to call the micmac burial grounds um once they go over the deadfall and they go into this like other area they, they purposely didn't call it the micmac burial grounds in this one and they made that's a true. point to say that it was indigenous people uh found the place as well and fled from it so it's like an ancient power it's always been there it has nothing to do with any sort of Native American stuff, which I thought, you know, that was a that was a good choice to to be more um, aware. I agree. Yeah. Um, 
but so that area though the burial ground the ancient whatever you want to call it um when they went into it it was massive and we get this like aerial view of it right and we see all this this like fog everywhere and it's this big swamp and then they they find these steps that lead up to this this uh set of this like uh i don't know like pinnacle area where you bury and it's very rich it seems like a ritual and all this stuff and i felt like that all of that was leading to something that we did not get um and that's where i was very frustrated because i, I was like okay if you're, they're doing all of this when he comes back later like we're gonna see some craziness out here and i thought we were gonna get this is where we're gonna get the like artistic clever cgi we're gonna get creepiness we're gonna see stuff in the background and all we get is one shifting shadow and that's it and so I was very disappointed because I thought like they set it was like they set it up and then they just whiffed. Uh, How did you feel about the moment when Lewis like screams back at the window? Because I actually was like, <laughs> oh, it's kind of fun. I laughed. He's like freaking out. And, and he's like after he's buried her, uh, Ellie, he he just like screams back at the window. It was pretty wild. <laughs> yeah, I laughed. I was cackling. But yeah, <laughs> I was just, yeah, unnecessary. <laughs> And yeah, man, I just I'm very frustrated with the way that went down. Um, but I, you know, I don't want to linger on it too long. Let's talk about something that I did like. Okay, and and I'll be curious to see if if you two liked this part or not, because I'm not like 100 percent sure that it's it was necessarily great, but I liked it. And mm-hmm. and that was um a lot, not necessarily everything they did with Zelda, but a lot of what they did with Zelda and the um the genuine to me horror of um Rachel hearing the noise like in the roof. And then uh, the moment when she looks in, in behind the medicine cabinet and, you know, the, yeah, and Zelda falls down. Like, I, that was all, like, genuinely frightening and creepy to me. Um, and it was all added, right? Like, that doesn't happen in the book. Not really. Not in that way. Um, and it, it worked for me. I, I'd be curious to know if it worked for you, too. I felt very conflicted about that. Like, in a way, it was creepy. And if maybe if I didn't know what happened in the book, I would have liked it more. But I guess in the book, just her watching Zelda choke to death really unsettled me a lot. And the fact that the movie just kind of took that away and had her fall down the dumb waiter instead, I guess I was, I was comparing them too much in my head to really appreciate what the movie did. But looking back and listening to you talk about it now, I think I can appreciate it a little bit more, especially when she's having the flashback with the medicine cabinet. That was a little unsettling. Yeah, it was, I think I probably laughed the first time, but then the second time it kind of came up again. It's like, okay, this could have worked. And I did like some of the focus on Rachel and Zelda too. That could have been done in a more focused way. It could have been even more interesting if they had earned it, I guess. I feel like most of this movie just tries to give us things that they didn't really earn in their storytelling. That's what I tell my students all the time too. Like you can't just, throw in a spooky scene or a gross out scene if the rest of the story doesn't build up to that it doesn't earn that payoff i was i was also mixed on the zelda stuff because i do i do see what you're saying luke with the some of the creepiness i i think i was more into the stuff when she was like a child and she was you know when she was using the dumbwaiter that stuff i i think i liked her like the crawling on the ceiling stuff is another cliche that i don't know that i love anymore Mm-hmm. Uh, where it's like just like noises above you or something and it does work it builds the tension uh but I, the actual scene of the of the in the bathroom with the with the medicine cabinet that works for me where she like slammed it and there was nothing behind it but but the medicine as it like creaked back open 
Uh, well, because I, I like was that. so I was I was waiting for the other cliche of like someone's in the mirror when you close it or when you right. open it, you see them at an angle. And I, that's what I thought we were going to get. But instead, having it be this like dumb waiter entrance um, was surprising. Mm-hmm. And, and so that I, I guess that's why it worked for me. It, it was a genuine surprise. Um, but I agree about the 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 Rachel stuff and uh, the Rachel and Zelda stuff in the book is more subtle and it focuses more on the relationship of these sisters and the horrific nature of the disease and the disease that claims her having her fall on a dumbwaiter is very improbable right mm-hmm. and it seems like it, it's flashier and it's obviously done for the reason of they wanted to create these so, scenes with these dramatic parts happening in them and so I can see like if that it's too obviously contrived then like that can hit you in the wrong way. And I, I definitely get that. Yeah. So this brings up an interesting point about production notes, stuff that I read. Um, according to one of the directors, Kolsch, he said that Zelda's death change was based on a news story that they read about a waitress who fell into a dumbwaiter and broke her neck her first week on the job. He said the idea wow. of dying that way was just yeah. so horrendous to me that we said, you know what, what if we try to do this, do more with this? Uh, and then he said, this still chills me when I think about it. So that, that I don't is... know if that changes anything for you or if it makes you feel conflicted about it. But I just thought that was an interesting thing to note. It is creepy. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about, oh, I'm just going to put this in my movie now. But <laughs> <laughs> right. I can understand the inspiration. Yeah. Right. It it worked for me ultimately, but I, I can see some hesitancy and why, and I understand it. But that was like I just wanted to like try and highlight things that did work for me in this movie because I feel like we're mostly talking about negative things, right? Yeah. Ultimately, I think the addition of some of the Zelda stuff and and being more close to Rachel's POV that stuff worked for me. Mm-hmm. Being because we really I feel like even maybe even more so than than the book because it's so close to Lewis, we really got to understand Rachel's grief and and why she felt the way that she did. Uh, but then I feel like they pulled the rug out from us when I think the whole point is Rachel's dealing. She can't deal with death because of what happened when she was a kid. And when we start the novel, Lewis is he just accepts death for what it is. But ultimately, when when put up against that situation, he can't stand by his word. He actually can't stand. He can't handle the grief and he can't live with the death of someone he loved. So he does bring someone back. And I think that pulling the the rug that got pulled out from underneath us was when Ellie drags Rachel's dead body into the into the burial ground in order to bring her back instead of instead of Lewis making the decision for a second time. Yeah. Yeah. That was goofy to me too. Yeah. And then and then yeah, I mean it's 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 like you can see it coming as soon as it happens and it was so fast too because we get the moment where Rachel says don't bury me there. And then immediately yeah. that happens. <laughs> and I was like, come on, you got to give it a little space to breathe. And, and, and oh, my God, it's going to happen rather than just immediately hitting us with it happening. I don't know. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. It was I, I the ending was probably my least favorite part. Yeah. <laughs> the very and end it wasn't the Lewis's choice. Out. It was so so her telling Lewis that I don't know. It's like if he had gone against her wishes, it would have been more profound. And, and like we would have hated him for it in a way. But instead, it's like he doesn't do it. It's it's Ellie. It's all Ellie. So. Or the one to go through Ellie. I guess. Um, <laughs> I definitely did not enjoy the ending like I wanted to. Uh, yeah. As we get, I, I also felt like as when Ellie became possessed and she's running around, it just felt like a lot of other horror movies that I've seen before. This kind of like jumping out and slashing Judd's, which w- w- again was a, I think that was a nod to the the movie. Yeah. Was yeah. the slashing the the Achilles kind of slashing in the ankle. Yes. Mm. Um. 
it's which is i don't know it's just for what what was the point of it i don't i don't really understand was, it was kind of creepy yeah, that was oh, like, and the masks too oh, oh yeah. yeah i could have you know as far got, as the changes go i could have bought that one but <laughs> compared when you put that with everything else they changed so it's just like oh okay right. you're talking about the like the children's masks that they would wear and then and then her having that at the end yeah, uh, I, you nailed this in our coverage, James. You said like, ah, eh, they probably just added it for the trailer. <laughs> yeah, and, and it totally. I think that was exactly it. They wanted to have those scenes of the kids walking through the woods, put it in the trailer. It's kind of creepy. creepy. It is kind of creepy, but then you have to execute on that. You have to do something with it. They did nothing with it. Right. And and I was very frustrated in that too. And then yeah, her having the mask was like the payoff, quote unquote. <laughs> I guess in her, it wasn't even like she didn't even wear it really, right? It was just like in her like room. at one point she wore it she wore it when she was killing judd and she was wearing it yeah oh, okay. like, she then she pulled up the mask and and then oh uh, yeah you're right Nora, you're right Nora's face is there yeah and like oh come on like you got to do a little more than that you, that that feels like they just were like oh yeah i remember those masks here we go let's bring them back at the end for one scene uh mm-hmm. for no real reason um yeah that was frustrating yeah the ending just like you said james it's like so many other horror movies that we've seen Here's this what zombie family at the end. <laughs> all right. Oh boy, that was that was the part that really put the nail in the coffin for me when they all walked up and they, they, I was just like, "Is this?" And it felt more rather than it being like the decisions made by the character, it just felt like this curse that was going to spread now. Like they were going to continue get gauge and they were going to continue to just move, and then the Wendigo would take overtake everyone, which is not really kind of what I was feeling like the book was trying to get across at all. Right, yeah. the book's very personal, and this was just not personal. Yeah, and and I mean, like, uh, we see the 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 zombie family is burning the evidence at the end. I guess is why the house is on fire, and and that was frustrating because like that was Lewis, you know what I mean? Like almost going as far as he needed to go, but then falling just short because he he can't part with with Rachel. Um, so they completely changed that, and in, in a way that just frustrates me. And and speaking of those changes, there's one other like I think the motivation of uh, Lewis was sorely lacking when it came to bringing back Ellie, and it just felt so silly. It's like why would you do this? This is obviously a bad idea. And I remember talking about in our book coverage, King does so much work to sell this decision to us. There's so much of him rationalizing things and coming up with like, and he has this whole plan of like, I'm going to try it and I'm going to see what happens. And if it doesn't work out, I'm going to take care of it. No one ever has to know. Um, But it's like, it's worth it to me just to give it a shot and see what happens. And like the rationalizing just really works for me to where like, I finally was at the point where I was like, I don't necessarily agree with it, but it's hard for me to 100% say I would never make that same choice. Um, But whereas in the movie, it's just like, it's rushed. He just does it. It seems like the stupidest thing you could ever do. And I can imagine just being very frustrated with it as an audience goer who's like never read the book or anything. And like, why the hell would he ever do this? Right. And even in the book, like I liked that church was his secret and that, you know, they were away when all this happened because then it really showed Lewis's, I guess what he knew and what they didn't. It's kind of, he has like this whole other experience and the movie didn't play off that at all. Like, you know, he has that whole internal conflict of, okay, church came back different, but he's he's okay. He's not quite as vicious as he was in the movie. He's just there eating mice and birds terribly and viciously. <laughs> but 
but that whole internal conflict is just gone in the movie and without that we can't relate to it we can't justify anything that Lewis does and that really was what the movie should have spent more time on rather than some flashy fog and whatever else they added the mask they would have spent more time on that i'm i stand by the fact that the fog machines were overused in this movie (laughs) i think it can work in some instances like if it's like i I was fine with the fog on honestly like i i understand why you think it was a lot but like if if i don't know in a better movie i wouldn't have even noticed i think there's a couple times where like you're in a scene where there's no fog and then some kind of blows in from the side And that always looks silly to me because I can just imagine the machine sitting there. <laughs> yeah, some PA off to the side, like, yeah. Yeah. And, and like I know that like ground fog is a thing; it does happen. But I feel like it also looks kind of different than what we got here. Um, I don't know; it just didn't sell it on like the authenticity of the the ground fog didn't didn't quite land for me. Um, but oh, real quick before we get away from it, another standout performance. I got to give it to him: the cat, Church the cat. Church, I thought yeah, he, I thought he was it. good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah church was good he was and and that i mean come on that tie he wore to the to the premiere was just Aww, you know <laughs> super so adorable it's awesome yeah and um yeah I, so i saw i actually saw captain marvel the day before mm-hmm. seeing this which also prominently features a cat oh yeah they, they both they somebody <laughs> took a picture of each of the cats and was like who who was best at their premiere and they who had, wore it better because who wore it best kind <laughs> of thing that's like, amazing who, yeah. i love that <laughs> Because they both wore tight little ties, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was so, um, so I had to com- compare pa- cat performances, and, and I liked both. But I think I think I got to give it a church here. I think I, I liked. I think the cat made more sense in this movie, and um, I, I, I don't know. I really like. I really liked church in this movie. So, but what you're saying is you're shouting out like you're giving props to like five different cats. I want you to know. Yeah, I think there, there were five cats. There were a couple. Really? Oh, I yeah. thought it was all one cat. I no, guess that makes sense, though. They did a great job. Like I, I think all like I think each one had a had a specific thing they were trained to do. Right. Yeah, you know, one was going to be creepy. One was going to be the playful, happy one. So, uh, but I think yeah, as far as cat performances well, go, I think and, we got and a good the one way the animal was used is also what I'm obviously shouting out, right? Like the, yeah, the yeah. use of the animal narratively, how it how it threaded in there, I thought was good. Right, and I mean the shot, the, I, I that shot um on the road when he's driving away of the mangled nasty looking church that's a great shot like the, it, it does look creepy and it's it worked well for the marketing and everything yeah i mean cat i mean it, that, that cat is on every piece of marketing you see basically right um yeah. so yeah definitely d- definitely delivered there and church was even part of the family at the very end they're all there even the yeah, yeah that's true <laughs> that's the other thing is not not putting down ellie or church again is also a weird change because yeah it just feels like this zombie family now like i i think actually having church die and actually having ellie die makes rachel coming back i don't know it just feels like there's way more weight to the idea that he is he is killing people and bringing people back willy-nilly at this point yeah and he's things and lewis is alive at the end of the novel um like a living normal person who's just who has done all these things and now has to be reckoned with his choices right and Mm -hmm. faced with his choices and we don't get that because he he is like mercifully killed, I think, and, and and it saves him from having to deal with it. And at the end, I guess we see yeah. Gage being the one who's who's faced with the zombie family, but he doesn't know what's happening, so he doesn't have to deal with the consequences. He didn't make it happen; he's just caught up in it. Right. The idea that Lewis went through all this and he that his comeuppance was just dying, and yeah. it wasn't that he had anything more in store or any sort of like cursed life. 
right? There's there's no consequences. There's nothing to be learned. Like when you go out of this film, what are you supposed to have really learn from it? Are we supposed to be creeped out? Like, is there some kind of parallel to real life? Like you get in the book where you can understand mm-hmm. that. I just left this movie and was like, all right. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a couple of little things that I wanted to talk about. The, I, the decision to start with the wreckage and the ultimately mm-hmm. where we ended up. What did you think of that? Because seeing the fire and, and coming in that aerial shot over top of the house did did you think that that was weird or how did you feel about that it was fine but i've seen it before maybe i'd be curious if you hadn't read the book maybe you would have a different thought to it mm-hmm. but if you know it's coming then you're kind of like okay there's horror movies sometimes do this they just start with the end and then tell it in reverse mm-hmm. i think it's it's kind of a cliche but it can be done well um to me, it got me kind of excited because I recognized the elements of the book, right? I was like, ooh, they're leading to the same place, you know? And um, But then it ended up disappointing me because it, I felt like I had been cheated a little bit because I thought mm-hmm. the, the, the beginning was telling me as a book reader, there may be some changes here, but we're leading to the same result. Right. And instead, that's not what we got. I've looked at it kind of favorably. I when The first shot opening in this looming shot of the wreckage made me feel like it was this, like, POV of the Wendigo or like that's like my mm. that's where my head went and kind of like this massive aerial shot of the of everything and this looming creature I was like oh wow they, this might be really interesting and I don't think that was paid off but that was my initial reaction to that first shot I like that interpretation yeah it's a shame it didn't carry throughout right <laughs> yeah uh oh I did want to shout out one other thing I liked um so there was a scene where Rachel comes home and is faced with the reality that Lewis has brought back their daughter and the two living characters have to have a moment where they you know are at odds with each other and she's faced with the horror of what he's done he is found out in this secret he's been hiding and I really liked that scene and that's a scene that's not in the book um and I think to bring it into the movie uh, is a nice thing that's like it's like in an alternate version of the story we see what happens when these two characters are faced with each other and and full knowledge of what happened. Um, and so I just wanted to give him props for that scene. Like I liked that it was there. I don't necessarily like everything that happened after or before that, but that moment I did like. Yeah, the tension was pretty good there. The hug that Ellie gives Rachel. I, I thought Rachel did a great job in that scene as well, where she's she, Ellie's hugging her and she won't hug her back. And she's immediately refusing this this kid and and the the kind of the tension that was built up when she when ellie ran up the stairs or i'm sorry when rachel ran up the stairs and ellie was like she doesn't want me here i actually felt like that was pretty pretty uh powerful like just the idea that like you're like oh shit this creature is not gonna be happy that she immediately saw through this fake ellie Mm -hmm. and that's completely different than what happens in the book because rachel when uh she first sees gage goes in for the hug even after everything else that's happened right um which I don't is 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 good in a different way I guess. Um, but I agree. I actually did like I did like the sort of like refusal to hug too. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe this version of Rachel it made more sense for. So Stephen King proposed an alternate ending because he saw a digital screener of this movie before it came out. Uh, really, his ending is 
which I don't know how he ultimately feels about the movie. It seems like he's been standing by it a lot. And I mean, and he's, he stands by he always, a lot of this yeah. stuff. And I mean, it, it, when somebody's adapting your work, you stand behind it. That's kind of just the way it goes. I don't know, though. He, I mean, historically, Other than The Shining, he, right? He doesn't, <laughs> that's yeah, true. yeah so I don't know. that's really something. <laughs> so, so maybe it has something to do with his age and or like where he's at with it with his stories and stuff yeah but yeah he's standing behind i mean beside this one which i think yeah like you said i think that's what you do you just kind of want everybody to see it and then maybe that'll make them revisit the actual source material you wrote so in this proposed alternate ending gage is walking up the middle of the road dawn is approaching and a truck is heard coming and this is quote kang he says and think oh my god he's gonna get greased in the road that's how it's that's how this is gonna end then at the last second, this woman pulls him out of the road and rescues him and says, "Where, where's your mommy and daddy? And that's how the end, that's how you end the thing. But this isn't what they show. Hmm. So instead of the zombie family rolling up, he has Gage like wandering around and some, some random woman finds him. It's actually more, it's actually more hopeful. Yeah. yeah. I guess I don't really care for either. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, I don't either. Yeah. King has another alternate ending and that's the one he wrote in the book. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. Yeah, I agree. But yeah, I just thought it was interesting that he was he was willing to go that far as to say like that would be a better ending. I didn't think that it was necessary. I don't know. That also feels like a, a cliche. Well, maybe it also kind of highlights that maybe he did. Maybe as much as he's standing behind it, maybe he wasn't a huge fan of the way it ended. Maybe. Yeah. Sarah, is there anything we've missed that you wanted to say? Um, I guess just generally, I feel like in the book, so much of it is about your own mind and your own emotional and psychological being like you're constantly playing off the dark places that your own mind creates. We just Mm -hmm. didn't get that in the movie. Like there's really no chance for you to relate to the characters and kind of have your own connection with them and have your mind play off those things. So I guess that's for me, what made it so much less scary in the movie was that my mind didn't get to go to the dark places on its own. Like it did in the book that was the main thing for me too is just the the i wasn't connected to the and i think that that's that's something with with more forgettable horror movies that you get where it's just insert male character insert female character and then have a bunch of scary stuff happen and i feel like we didn't we didn't get that guilt we didn't get the character connections judd was this creepy guy and just for the sake of being creepy rather than being this father figure that you care about that tends to make the right decision and then makes the wrong decision when push comes to shove. Yeah. This all reminds me of one thing I did want to say about this. And so we talk a lot about story seeds and when we cover these things, right? I, I love to find out like what was the impetus for this story? What started it all? And I think for people who are adapting movies, you'd be well served to look at that, look at that seed and make, make sure that you're connecting with sort of the heart of the story. And for me, uh, one of the seeds when when you read, I mean, King talks about it. Uh, his own son was wandering towards the road, and he ran over and and was able to grab him before he got hit at the last second. And or maybe he he tripped. He doesn't know, but he for whatever reason, you know, he was able to prevent this from happening. And then he was faced with the horror of imagining what would it have been like had I failed to do that, and had my son gotten hit by a truck, right? And so that frustrates me when I think about that moment and that being the heart of this story, because you look at what they did with Ellie and Lewis runs out and he successfully grabs Gage and saves him from the truck. And then the truck in sort of a like, 
almost uh, faded way falls a piece of it flies off in almost final destination sort of fashion (laughs) runs over (laughs) ellie and to me it felt like it was like you couldn't have ever prevented it it was gonna happen right and that robs the scene of the personal horror of coming so close to saving your son and then failing in the last moment and instead it's like he successfully saves his son but then ellie is just kind of killed by a force that he had no way to prevent and uh to me that's a really frustrating subversion of that and and at the heart of the story that's one of the major conflicts is is, and and when we talk about the grief like it makes it so personal for lewis and instead that's all stripped away and and uh i don't know that's just something that that i feel like uh was a big miss and then a lot of the failures of the movie are kind of born out of that decision that's a good point i agree so it's interesting because I think that they got caught up in, in making things different. I think that they were like, what are audiences expecting? And all they wanted to do was subvert expe- expectations, but they weren't, they didn't stop to ask why enough, maybe. Mm. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? Like you were saying, a kind of getting away from what the root, what the actual beginning and, and what, what this story is really about. I think there are ways to subvert expectations. And, and yeah, it just gets me thinking about these adaptations and when, I think people get too worried that if they don't change the story enough, that it won't be their own story. But you can follow, you can adapt something and be very similar to the source material and still put your own spin and your own tone and your own atmosphere on it. Mm-hmm. And I just, I don't know. I think that I've seen it done really well a lot. And it's a, it's just a bummer when people, when, when they're not able to pull it off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that happened with the Carrie too, the newer one, the remake of the remake. Like, oh, they tried. They eh, don't bother. They tr- <laughs> they tried almost to make it a little more modern, but they didn't change anything. Almost like it was just so incredibly boring because you mm. could do so much to make a different modern carry, but they just I felt they pretty failed epically at that. So again, I don't know what it is about Stephen King movies and remakes that makes people lose their minds, but yeah. I I believe someday someone will give us something worthy. That's what I'm well, hoping. We, we, we both, at least, and I'd be curious to know just briefly your take on it since it's a completely different movie, but we both enjoyed the new It version, a uh, 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 modern t- reta- retelling of that, I guess if you want to call it that. Um, and we're going to get part two later this year, which we will be covering on the podcast. Um, so it'll be interesting to revisit that project. Um, did you did you like that at all? I thought it was okay. I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it. It was pretty much uh-huh. in the middle of it. But I... Mm-hmm. I'll be interested to see what they do with part two. I just didn't like how they, like what they did with Bev's storyline in the mm. in it compared to the book. So mm. oh, if they I make can see her, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. If they make her more proactive and make her more centered, like she was in the book for the second mm. part, maybe I'll be more interested in it. I mean, with I think with Jessica Chastain, you have to do that. She's oh, she's, she's uh, awesome. They're gonna kill it. I the, hope the casting she, is great for it. So I'm very excited. Yeah, yeah. we're very excited. Mm-hmm. If you like Stephen King, definitely stick around because we will be back for it part two. I think we're gonna actually rewatch the uh, the miniseries because um, I've never seen it um, in its entirety. So I think we're gonna rewatch the miniseries, do an episode on that, and then we'll then we'll come back for it part two. That'll also just kind of remind us of everything. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So yeah, definitely stick around for that. Uh, also, uh, we wanted to announce we're going to be covering uh, Two Towers uh, by Tolkien. Uh, next so very different sort of project but if, if you like uh classics and genre i guess then you can come back for that we we, we did fellowship earlier um last year and we're going to be coming back for two towers next 
Yeah, and as if you listen to our fellowship coverage, you know how massive this this world is for me and Luke actually. Yeah, so yeah. we're excited to get back into it. Yeah, and oh, so if you wanted to find uh, Sarah online, where where can they find you? I'm on Twitter at Sarah Jane five two four. My website is sarahtailinger.com. I'm on Instagram at Inky Chaotics, and I have an Amazon author page, so all my work is up there. That's awesome. Yes, yeah, make sure to follow her on all those platforms uh, and read those read those poetry collections. And uh, yeah, you're gonna be uh, you're gonna be at StokerCon coming up this year too. So if you happen to go to that go to that convention, uh, you might see her around. Yeah, come say hi. This has been so much fun having you on, Sarah. Thank you for joining us. Um, I it's always kind of a bummer when the movie isn't just great, right? But it's still a fun conversation to have. I think I think it went to for some cool places and. And hopefully people enjoyed it. I know that there are going to be some people who love this movie. Like there always are. And there's going to be some people who hated it way more than we did and think and think that we were too nice. You know, um, that that always happens. So um, hopefully you still enjoy the conversation wherever you fall on that spectrum. Yeah. Thank you for having me. This is really great to just kind of talk about it with other people and go in depth with all the different things that they did. Definitely. Thank you so much for coming on. We wanted to thank Jamie D for being a patron of ours. And if you wanted to become a patron yourself, go to patreon.com forward slash ink to film. You can see all the things that we are offering, uh, including bonus content, like our upcoming bonus episode on Pet Cemetery, the 1989 version. I can go ahead and announce we are going to do, right? Thank you to Jamie. We, re- we really appreciate your support. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all of those at ink to film and join our council of inklings. We post polls for potential projects that we want to do and we post adaptation news and I'm trying to be more active in there. So yeah, see more James posts in the future. <laughs> Another way you can help the show out is by leaving us a rating and review. If you like this episode, please do it. Uh, and if you'd like to reach out to us directly, you can always send us an email at inktofilm at gmail.com. Thank you again to Sarah for coming on. It was so much fun. We really appreciated having you on. Yes. Thank you, Sarah. Also, thank you to Jennifer Delazana for providing our transcripts. And thank you to Ross Bugden for the use of our intro and outro music. All right, Stephen King fans, we will be back in the future for It Part 2, It Chapter 2, and you can look forward to that. But otherwise, we're going to be back next week with The Two Towers, and uh, we hope you join us for that. And until then, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.